Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to Inside Politics. I'm Audie Cornish. In today for Dana Bash. Fifteen hours from now, we're expecting the first of dozens of Hamas hostages to walk free out of Gaza. They've been captive since October 7th, when Hamas terrorists stormed the border with Israel and brutally murdered 1,200 people. Now, the first hostages to be released are expected to be women and children. In exchange, Israel agrees to pause its assault on Gaza for four days, release 150 Palestinians from Israeli prisons, and allow more humanitarian aid into Gaza. That could include hundreds of trucks carrying fuel and supplies. Now, for families of the missing, the past 46 days have been unbearable. And these next few hours will be just as intense as they wait to find out whether their relative will be among those freed. My family, like all the other families, is going to go through a terrible week. We don't know if Yarden, my cousin, is going to be amongst those released in this round. There's nobody that's giving up hope. It's just that we actually need to see Abigail come out, and then we will be able to be, to believe it. We want a chance to see our loved one back. This is all we want. And I really hope that this is just the first step. Now, even if this deal is carried out successfully, some 200 hostages remain. But the hope is that this is a turning point in this war. CNN is covering this story from all angles, and Oren Lieberman is in Tel Aviv. We have MJ Lee at the White House, and we're going to begin with you, Oren. What's the next step in this conversation? Audie, we're now 15 hours away from this pause in the fighting taking effect, at which point Israel and Hamas will put a hold on this war, and then shortly after that we expect the transfer of Israeli hostages to begin. Women and children, it'll be a small number each day, over the course of four days, somewhere in the range of 10 to 12. We don't know if they'll all come out at once. We don't even know yet, frankly, how they'll come out, if it will be as the other Israeli hostages came out way at the beginning of this war, or if there's a new plan to bring them through one of the other border crossings. Crucially, at this point, in speaking with the families, it seems they haven't heard who's coming out yet. And that's what part of that makes makes this so nerve-wracking for them. They want to know if their loved ones are part of the 50 that will come out in this first tranche. But that, as of right now, is unclear. Meanwhile, on the flip side of that, in exchange for the release of Israeli hostages held in Gaza, there will be the release of Palestinian prisoners, also women and children, 150 of them for the first 50 Israeli hostages released. It's unclear who on that list comes out from Israeli prisons. Uh, We have looked at that list of 300. It is largely for what are considered smaller offenses, such as throwing stones or uh, uh, connections to a terror organization. 
so not any of the major offenses. Most of those Palestinians, if not all of them, are from the occupied West Bank or Jerusalem. So we'll see how that process plays out. We are also at the same time seeing ongoing fighting in Gaza. Large-scale Israeli airstrikes from the video we have seen coming out of there. Red alerts indicating uh, possible rocket fire from Gaza. It's important to note, though, that that does not mean the agreement is off. It simply means the pause in fighting hasn't started yet. We still have every expectation that it will take effect uh, at 10 o'clock tomorrow morning. So nerve-wracking moments for the families as we wait to see uh, this agreement take effect here and what the world hopes, frankly, will be a much larger possibility for a ceasefire. But as of right now, Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu promising the war is still on when this pause is over. Warren, thank you so much. Of the 50 hostages set to be released, three are expected to be U.S. citizens. One name on that list, that of Abigail Idan. She's supposed to celebrate her fourth birthday on Friday. When this deal was announced, President Biden issued a statement where he said, quote, the deal should bring home additional American hostages, and I will not stop until they're all released. CNN's MJ Lee joins us now from the White House. And first, MJ, could give us some background about how the deal itself came together and what the president's role was. Yeah, Adi, uh, we know that there were weeks and weeks of painstaking negotiations that uh, ultimately got us to this point. Uh, what we have learned is that shortly after October 7th, uh, there was a top secret channel of communication that was established, uh, including just a small number of White House, Israeli and Qatari officials to essentially negotiate with Hamas about the hostage uh, situation. And of course, what we saw last month was the release of those two American citizen women uh, from Gaza. And when that was successfully executed, it essentially signaled to U.S. officials that they had a bit of a blueprint uh, in place to effectively negotiate with Hamas uh, over these hostages as slow uh, going that communication was at times. Uh, but there were many, many challenges that U.S. officials uh, and their Israeli counterparts and their uh, Qatari officials as well uh, confronted when trying to negotiate with Hamas. Uh, we learned that Hamas Moss was uh, refusing for a period of time to offer any identifying information about the hostages. Uh, this turned out to be a major sticking point. Uh, we also learned that in recent days, Hamas, uh, for a period of time, went dark, just was unresponsive uh, when messages were sent to them. And when they finally resurfaced, they raised issues about Israel's uh, IDF raid on the Al-Shifa hospital. And so all of this uh, made for sort of a painfully slow and touch-and-go process uh, throughout the weeks that the negotiations were going on. Uh, of course, there were many, many phone calls and conversations that took place uh, between President Biden and other top aides here and their counterparts uh, in the Middle East region as well. Some of these conversations, we are told, were so sensitive at the time that they weren't even read out in real time, which is pretty unusual. And now, Adi, what the White House is hoping for is that three American hostages, hostages at least uh, could be among the 50 that are released. Here's John Finer earlier today. We know that there are three Americans, uh, we believe, who are held in Gaza in that category, two women. It is our uh, strong uh, conviction and expectation that they be released in this group. Until we actually see people uh, coming out of Gaza, we will not know exactly who is going to be released. We do not have proof of life uh, for all of the hostages. Certainly, we know that there have been some uh, who have been uh, found uh, by the IDF uh, who have been killed. Uh, tragically during the course of this. And that's what underscores uh, the imperative of getting all of these people out of Gaza as soon as possible. 
And of course, just the execution of their release is going to be incredibly complicated as well, uh, not to mention for these women and these children, there's just a very long road ahead uh, in terms of their rehabilitation and making sure that they can get the medical help that they need. Adi. MJ Lee at the White House, thanks so much. Now, this pause in the fighting is, as we said, set to start tomorrow, 10 a.m. local time. But that does not mean that the bombardment of Gaza has stopped. IDF spokesperson Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner is here to talk about what happens next. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Ollie. Now, as we said, starting tomorrow, if all goes well, um, hostages will be released. But it also means the pause and fighting and four days for Hamas to potentially regroup move, retrench. How does this complicate things for your military strategy going forward? Uh, just on the you know, brief comment on the last reports that we we're hearing, um, what you brought, just broadcasted, the 240 people that are being held by uh, Hamas, the emotional roller coaster that's being reflected in the reports that you just broadcasted, and indeed the emotional roller coaster of an entire country being torn to pieces um, by the actions of Hamas, of this terrorist organization, just exemplifies specifically why Hamas need to go. Uh, I would say that, that, that the reality on the ground is one where we will receive the, our instructions from the government to hold fire. We will hold fire. We will take up defensive positions in order to be re prepared for any attempt of Hamas to try and take advantage of the situation. Indeed, there is a chance that they will regroup and they will resupply themselves. Is that why uh, bombing this is going to be a is that why bombing has continued? Are you trying to make some areas more or less inhospitable for them? No, we have not had an instruction to hold our fire at this stage, and that is why we continue to seek out and destroy and dismantle Hamas wherever they're hiding. Indeed, they have continued to fire rockets at Israel, they continue to attack our forces on the ground, and we are engaging them, destroying their tunnel capability taking out their squads, their cells, wherever they are operating, and indeed making sure that they are pursued. Uh, the reality on the ground is one where the, the war is ongoing, and even if there is, and when the operational pause takes comes into force, it will be over and when the hostages are released, and then we will continue our operation as the government has directed us. Are you prepared to hold if more hostages are released? This is, I, this is what we understand according to the plan that has been uh, widely publicized. Uh, you know, this is one of our goals of this war is to bring home the hostages, every last one of them. This is the, the reality and this is what we need to aspire for. Um, Hamas cannot be allowed to hold the Israelis and foreign nationals that they abducted and, and are holding them hostage in the Gaza Strip. And we need to bring them home and we need to bring them home now. So hopefully tomorrow we will see the first installment of that. In the meantime, the stated goal has been to eradicate Hamas. Um, at the same time, that has meant going after people in urban environments, urban warfare. Is there any thought to having a safe zone or a no-strike area to help protect civilians? Uh, we have a, a humanitarian zone in the southwestern part of the Gaza Strip, uh, the area called the Mawasi. Indeed, we've seen a, a huge evacuation from people from the north to the south, and the, the in hand in hand with the operational pause is an increase, as Oren Lieberman rightly pointed out, of humanitarian aid, of trucks that are supposed to come in, in order to alleviate the dire situation that the people of Gaza are indeed facing because of the war, the war that... Are those areas safe us. from strikes altogether? 
in the areas in the south, there are still Hamas operations in the south, but the Mawasi, even though the Hamas have fired rockets from that area, we've not responded because we realize that that needs to be a safer zone, a humanitarian zone, a place where people can escape the, the war as much as possible. The reality, though, unfortunately, is that Hamas, where they will continue to operate from in, around, and beneath hospitals, they'll continue to launch rockets from adjacent to UN facilities. So you mosques, consider those areas schools, not being off limits yeah. still? Excuse me, I missed the question. So it sounds like you consider those areas are still not off limits as, as long as you perceive the threat of Hamas being among civilians in those areas. We will seek out Hamas wherever they hide and we will t- take them out because they can no longer or they can never ever be permitted to wield the power of government because we saw what happens with, when they have the power of government. They utilized the power of government, they subordinated and enslaved it, all of its powers in order to build a terrorist army that came into our towns, came into our kibbutzim, came into our villages, brutally massacred, murdered, raped, beheaded, and abducted over 1,300 people. So we have no choice but to make sure that Hamas can never have this power ever again. We know that there is a list of Palestinians who could be released in this deal. They include women, a lot of teenagers. Their charges range from throwing stones to harming regional security. What concerns do you have about who might go free? Of course, this list is compiled by the prison service and the, and the other security services. The IDF is in, more involved in, in engaging the terrorists on the ground. Uh, you know, it is, of course, of concern, and uh, but it is what the government has decided to do, and we will implement the government's decision to the letter. Lieutenant Colonel, thank you so much for speaking with us. Good evening. We're going to continue to follow news about these hostage negotiations. We're also going to hear from an Israeli writer and journalist from the region, so stay with us. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish. Celebrities of all kinds are speaking publicly about their therapeutic trips, so to speak. It turns out there is a burgeoning industry ready to serve the new influx of people who find themselves turning away from traditional mental health therapy. The gap between what we know and what we don't about psychedelic therapy. Listen to The Assignment with me, Audie Cornish, on your favorite podcast app. The families of those held hostage by Hamas spent days pressuring the Israeli government to prioritize bringing their loved ones home. 
Those families have become a unified and powerful voice in Israel. To help us with the context behind this deal, we have writer and journalist Yossi Melman. And Yossi, first I just wanted to start with the fact that the families have really pushed bringing home the hostages being the number one priority. But they've also been concerned that all of this was getting lost amid other priorities. So did this deal actually help calm those concerns? Yes, indeed, Audi. But it's not just the families. Uh, actually, most of the uh, former Israeli security officials and current Israeli officials are in favor of a deal, of any deal, uh, an all-out deal or uh, for a deal in, in phases as we are expecting to be materialized tomorrow. So the public was behind the deal. And uh, I think uh, eventually, after a few weeks, the government caved in to the public pressure, to the former security officials' pressure and their opinions, and eventually realized that it should be a number one priority or at least uh, equivalent, at equal foot, with the with the other goal of the government, which was the first goal to smash Hamas and to uh, decapitate its leaders and to dismantle its military capabilities. Yossi, so what were the fault lines that began to appear during the debate? You said the government's been reluctant. What were some of the voices saying uh, who were reluctant? Well, there were voices who were saying that once there is a ceasefire or a pose, as Israel ref refers to, the Israeli government and the military refers to, it would weaken the determination of the Israeli military to continue the war. Uh, but I think it's, it's a wrong impression. And, and eventually, the fact is that the government decided that these two goals, to smash Hamas and to release the hostages, should be on the same footage, on the same foot, uh, on the, uh, uh, with equal uh, priorities. So, I, militarily speaking, I don't think if there is a pause of four or five days, uh, it would... Uh, it would uh, stop the Israeli military, the Israeli forces, to continue the war. I want to ask. Suppose, uh, I, I want to ask one question to that point. Um, how is it heard in Israel? International outcry over civilian conditions in Gaza, and with it that accompanying push for a humanitarian pause, for a ceasefire, as you're saying, that could go longer uh, than would meet the goal of eradicating Hamas. Well, the IDF has been very, very cautious and sensitive to the uh, to the Palestinian um, casualties. However, uh, it's a war, and a lot of people have been killed. I think the Palestinian figures are at eleven thousand or twelve thousand. A lot of them are children. Uh, so the Israeli public is concerned about it, but above all, it is more concerned about the trauma which occurred on uh, October the 7th, and about the future and the destiny of the hostages. 
and therefore it's a less of a public concern uh, as far as the Palestinians are, are, uh, are concerned. Yossi Melman, thank you so much for this perspective. Thank you. Now, as we said, the families of the 236 hostages held by Hamas wait to see if their loved ones will be among those 50 released as part of the deal. We're going to speak to an Israeli man who escaped Hamas on October 7th. However, his brother is still missing. We'll talk about that family's hopes and their story next. Israel and Hamas are hours away from a truce, though one that's likely to last for just a few days. Dozens of hostages are set to be freed after Hamas fighters ripped them from their homes six weeks ago. Now, this pause in fighting is set to begin at 10 a.m. local time. That's 3 a.m. Eastern. But until then, the IDF continues its assault. These are explosions seen in northern Gaza earlier today. CNN's Jeremy Diamond joins us live from Starot. And Jeremy, can you just talk about what you're seeing across the border there in Gaza? Well, just over 14 hours away from the beginning of that uh, expected truce between Israel and Hamas, we are continuing to hear outgoing artillery, large explosions inside the Gaza Strip. And that's a scene that we've been witnessing over the last several hours. When it was daylight here, we could see several large plumes of smoke in different parts of the northern Gaza Strip and also seeing some of those illumination rounds being fired uh, into Gaza as well. As the Israeli military indicates very clearly that it will continue to carry out its military operations to uh, take out Hamas forces and infrastructure inside Gaza up until that truce actually goes into place. In the meantime, though, what we are uh, witnessing and hearing across Israel is the anxiety, the anticipation of so many of these families, in particular of the children and women being held hostage inside of Gaza, as they wait to see whether or not their family members will be part of that initial release of 50 uh, uh, women and children hostages released over the next four days. Uh, many of those families, some of whom I've spoken with today, are still in the dark about whether or not their families will be part of this round. I spoke with Hen Avigdori earlier today, whose 12-year-old daughter is believed to be held hostage inside of Gaza. And he said that, look, he's optimistic, but he doesn't want to get his hopes up until he knows that she is indeed alive and that she will indeed be crossing back into Israel. Adi. Jeremy, thank you for your reporting. I want to turn to this hostage crisis in, in more depth. 236 people are being held captive in Gaza of several nationalities. And we've learned about many of them through their friends and relatives. Now, in Israel, the Hostages and Missing Families Forum is a group that formed in the wake of the October 7th attack. And they count just over 200 Israelis who are believed to be alive and still in Gaza. Here are some numbers for you. 39 of them are children, including a 10-month-old. 29 are senior citizens, including three people who are 85 years old. And 44 of the Israeli hostages are women. I'm joined now by the brother of one of the hostages, Gal Gaboa Galal, and his younger brother, Guy. They were at the Nova Music Festival on October 7th. They were separated during the attack. He only learned his brother, Guy, had been kidnapped by Hamas when their parents said they saw a hostage video online. Um, first, I just want to welcome you to the program. I know that this is a difficult day. Yeah, it is. Thank you so much. 
Uh, we understand right now it's supposed to be women and children who are included in this initial hostage agreement. U.S. officials say that this could pave the way for additional hostages to be released. Does that give you hope that your brother could be among them? Um, I still haven't uh, received any official uh, note about the, the deal. So, and, and even though, even, even, even if it's real, uh, everything they're saying about this deal, um, I don't really think my brother will be included in this deal. Um, so, no, it's kind of really hard for me to hope he will re be released in this kind of a deal. What is he's 22 years old. What is it like been try yeah. trying to navigate this, right? Uh, it's not clear sort of who to negotiate with, which countries are involved for the families. What has this process been like? Um, you know, to my family, it's been, um, I think, one of the hardest week we had to go through because we we keep hearing about um, deals that can be made. And, uh, you know, we, we hear a lot about it, but every time it changed. Every day we, we hear something uh, different. And every time we hear about it, um, they're speaking about, um, you know, small amount of... Uh, of hostages, um, if you look about uh, all the all the hostages, there are more than two hundred, and we know that it could make the the deal where my brother should be uh, back to us. Uh, like there could be a lot of time until we we can get another deal, and that makes us very worried. Even though you know it's it's hard to to be disappointed about any life that's being returned to us. And we have a big priority to get out, uh, to bring back the kids and the women and the people who need uh, medical attention most. In the meantime, have you encountered any additional information about your brother specifically? I know you learned about his capture more or less on social media. Do you know about his health or his location? Um, no, actually, we haven't heard anything. And that's one thing that I really hope that uh, if, you know, if you want to be included in this deal, that at least they will give the, the Red Cross, get in and get us a, a message from him or any sign of life, any, any, any information about his condition. Uh, we're just, you know, we're desperate to, to know anything about him. You've been outspoken about the importance of just remembering the hostages. And I know when you traveled to the U.S. earlier this month, you took part in a march for Israel. Um, does this kind of alleviate your fears that the hostages were somehow being forgotten? Yeah, of course, because, you know, um, when there are um, children and women involved, uh, it makes people more, I think, um, it's make, it makes them be... Um, more involved in this situation. But even though I always say it, and I said it last time uh, that uh, I spoke with you guys, um, you know, my brother is only 22 years old. He haven't started his life yet. He had so much plans and he's a free, and, and he he's a guy that believes in uh, peace and love. That's, that's the way he lives his life. He shouldn't also be used as a currency in this war. So yeah, it's very hard for me to, to think about uh, the, the ceasefire without getting my brother back. But I also believe that um, to stop everything um, and to get a real ceasefire and to really live in peace, we need to get them all back. Um, so yeah, this situation is so hard on us right now.
Gal Gilboa Dalal, I want to thank you and let you know that our thoughts are with you and your family. Thank you so much. Next, we're going to talk about how much credit the Biden administration might deserve for the breakthrough with this deal. And will American voters reward him for it? We're going to dig into the politics of that ahead. From executive producers Park Chan-wook and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max. Welcome back to Inside Politics. While President Biden has had trouble getting the American people on board with his handling of the Israel-Hamas war, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu took a different stance today. In the last few days, I talked with our friend, President of the United States, Joe Biden. I asked for his intervention in order to improve the outline that he's presented to you. And it was indeed improved so that it would include more hostages and less prices. These talks bore fruit. President Biden got involved, and I thank him for that. Correction there, that is actually audio from yesterday. Now I want to bring in our political panel, Jonah Goldberg of The Dispatch, Bloomberg's Nancy Cook, and USA Today's Francesca Chambers. Welcome, all of you. All right, I want to start with you, Francesca, because the public policy you've seen with Joe Biden has been to hold Netanyahu kind of close. Um, But then behind the scenes, we know he was probably talking um, a little more specifically about how to get this truce deal to fruition and what would be required. So what do we know about how the White House is feeling about how this is playing out and what their strategy is going forward? So their strategy going forward is they hope that this can serve as a pilot program to get the rest of the hostages out. And you've heard many lawmakers today saying that, well, this is a good first step and they welcome the release of these three Americans who we still don't entirely know their identities. They'd like to see the rest of them out. They think that this is also a good step towards getting more aid into Gaza. Now, how quickly another deal could come together, we do not know. But it's certainly something that the Biden administration says that they'll be focused on moving forward. You know, when Biden first made his speech, right, when war broke out, I think there was a lot of commentary that he looked sort of strong and strident and taking a very traditional position for um, a U.S. president. But it doesn't mean that people still approve of his foreign policy. That's what we're seeing so far. Over time, we've seen a real decline um, over the last couple of months. Um, You can see there way back in March, you had uh, 55% of people approving his foreign policy. That is down now um, in March, uh, past March 2022, 40%. And then now the number who approve is down to 33%. Um, Joan, I want to start with you. How significant is this? I feel like Americans have a kind of shaky commitment to foreign policy issues. Yeah, I, I... Frankly, I think American voters right now have a shaky commitment to issues, um, period. And if you look at his approval rating on all sorts of issues, they kind of track his approval rating generally, right? It's basically, I, I'm skeptical about some of this insofar as I think he's just drag, he's unpopular for all sorts of reasons, I mean, with the economy, his age, all of that, been there, done that. 
And so you plug a neck, you plug a topic next to his name. You say, "How do you think he's handling that?" And that goes down too. At the same time, Nancy, I feel like with the withdrawal from Afghanistan, it already was a kind of mark against him, certainly among Republicans, but across the board. I mean, is this is Jonah right? Is it just about any issue, or is this significant? Well, I think that there's two reasons that the foreign policy stuff is really significant and the decline in that approval rating. One is that foreign policy is supposed to be one of his key areas of expertise. It was something he was very focused on as a senator, and it's something that he will try to draw a contrast with against former President Donald Trump when the campaign really heats up in 2024. Um, and so I think that that's the first problem for him. But the second part is, you know, these uh, foreign policy issues, both the Ukraine war and the Israel-Hamas war, are very time-consuming for any president. And it just takes time away from what they, you know, need to also be thinking about, which is his re-election campaign. Yeah, and year. it's probably complicated by how Democrats are talking about this. I just want to open this to the table. What are you guys seeing beyond what people talk about campuses and things like that? How are Democrats struggling with their sort of anti-war undercurrent and the reality of this moment? Look, I, I think it's, it's fundamentally a problem with younger voters, because younger voters, they need them to turn out, they need them to be enthusiastic, they need them to sort of knock on doors, and younger voters are, are split, at minimum, on the issue of, uh, younger Democrats in particular, are mm -hmm. split on these issues, and it just, it saps the enthusiasm, it also gives some oxygen to some of these independent or third-party people like Cornell West, which has got to scare them, given how narrow the margins are going to be in battleground states for the electoral But is college. the White House actually worried about this split? I mean, it's talked about at these kind of tables, but what are you hearing? Yeah, I think so. Even though they're saying publicly that they're not concerned about the polling, they certainly they certainly know that this is an issue for them. You know, the White House said this week that it's not their job to change Americans' minds about this, but the campaign has said that it is their job at least to fill the gap and bring people along, and that is what you'll end up seeing the campaign do. But as far as it being time consuming, as Nancy mentioned, we know that while the president was at APEC, just after his meeting with Xi Jinping, hosting these 21 member economies, he was also on the phone, you know, cutting a deal to try and get these hostages home. So just another example, as you recall, that that was um, uh, the, near the spending deadline as well, yeah. of how his attention is being pulled in different directions. He's trying to show strength and vigor at the same time. Obviously, there are people in the party who see him as vulnerable because we have an entrance into the race with a super PAC that is supporting Dean Phillips. Um, and he's a candidate who says that uh, his latest ad hits Biden on his age. Um, I know that feels like everybody's hitting Biden on his age. <laughs> I don't know if that's news. Uh, but what's significant about this moment? Well, I think that what's significant is just that, you know, Biden is sort of taking it from all sides. You know, he has Dean Phillips, who is starting to uh, buy some ad time in the Boston area market, we learned today. We also have these third party threats from third party candidates, potentially, um, you know, RFK Jr., Cornell West. And, you know, never mind the no labels. Right. Never mind that the threat of a potential no labels candidacy. And so, you know, one by one, I don't think that any of those people are necessarily going to be the Democratic nominee. But what they could do is eat into his support among Democratic voters and just take people off bit by bit. I just think as a matter of political history, the Dean Phillips challenge is kind of fascinatingly novel insofar as normally primary challenges for within your own party are about an issue or a set of issues or an ideological perspective. Pat Buchanan, Ross Perot, Ralph Nader, all those kinds of people, right? This is just the guy saying, I agree with him on everything. I just think he's too old. Yeah, Which but is a weird, follows your thesis you know, about it not being about issues anymore, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so coming up, we're going to talk a lot about 
the split on the left over, we've been talking a lot about the split over left and the left over the Israel-Habas war. We're now going to talk a little bit more about conservatives and the right. Please stay with us. We've heard a lot about anti-Semitism on the far left, from targeted attacks on college campuses to hateful comments circulating among some progressives. There is also anti-Semitism that is simmering on the far right, and we're bringing our panel in here to talk more. Um, this has come up because of a kind of a very online internet kerfuffle between the personalities Candace Owen and Ben Shapiro, who are at odds about mm -hmm. conversations around Israel. Can you talk about why you think this is surfacing the way it is specifically among what I would call kind of the MAGA right? Yeah, so I mean, part of it, there obviously there is some fraction of the far-right, new-right, MAGA-right, whatever you want to call it, that is legitimately anti-Semitic. There's a much greater population of people who love to uh, just boost engagement by so fomenting outrage, right? Yeah. And but that they've had a substantive discussion about what does it mean to be America first? Right. How far does that go? And I thought that was intriguing because was America first really a doctrine? Like, how does it play out over time? Yeah, well, so America first in the 1940s was right. brought up with World War II stuff. Then Donald Trump thought it sounded cool when an interviewer mentioned it to him and he adopted it and he had no idea about its anti-Semitic roots. Anyway, my point is, is that, you know, people like Candace Owens are basically outrage merchants. The, mar the supply of plausible hot takes that stoke outrage um, has been, cannot meet the demand for them. And going after the Jews or Jewish financiers, which Charlie Kirk and Candace Owens have done, boosts outrage. It attracts the kind of anger from all the right people that boosts engagement as well. And then you add in the fact that Elon Musk has gotten himself into this mess and it gives them an excuse to come to the defense of Elon Musk. It's basically... A big part of it is incredibly cynical monetization of outrage. I want to bring you guys in for a second, but let's see that tweet from Elon Musk. Um, because essentially he co-signed, plus signed, liked um, a, a theory from somebody that looks very, very close to what has been called replacement theory, which is a sort of general idea that there are mysterious powers, usually rooted in the Democratic Party, etc., that are trying to replace white voters with minority voters who will vote in their direction. Um, of course, Jews as a, a community are often lumped into this, this um, conspiracy theory as well, which is extremely old. What do you see in it coming out now? Well, I think that what we saw dating back to you know, Trump's presidency and what happened in Charlottesville and his inability as a president to condemn white supremacists walking through that town really gave rise to a lot of people sort of feeling much more comfortable to express all sorts of... Who were chanting almost this right. exact thing. Exactly. So I think that that since then, um, and since, you know, he really broke the mold of Republican and presidential politics has given rise to not just online fights, but very real, uh, you know, ability for people to feel comfortable publicly, publicly expressing anti-Semitic views, uh, you know, racist views. And I think that we've just seen that play out and again and again. And I think it's important not just to talk about it in the context of, you know, an online fight between two online personalities who that's how they make their money. I feel like we're just seeing it throughout American politics and throughout the country. 
people feeling much more comfortable expressing discriminatory or anti-Semitic views. Francesca, is this mm -hmm. getting the attention of the White House at all? How are you seeing this? Absolutely. And Doug Emhoff, the, the second gentleman, has been focusing on this issue, of course, as well as the president and other people in the White House. But just building on the point that you were making, Jonah, uh, taking it to the next level, then you have lawmakers who are not disassociating themselves from this kind of rhetoric. You know, you had Eric Erickson, the conservative commentator, saying that until uh, people stop giving to these groups, they disassociate from the money of these things, these will continue to happen. And him calling it, uh, saying that that's basically complicity with evil was what he said. Well, we're going to leave it there for just a moment. I want to thank you guys all for tackling this. Not an easy topic. I appreciate you being here. And we want to thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts right after this break. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.